the simple fact that, you know, so many of us suffer in silence. You have not just kids going to school, putting on a mask, but you got folks coming to church, putting on masks. You've got individuals coming in, they're shouting and they're jumping and they're, they're singing and they're kumbayaing, if you will. They're putting on this facade, thinking that it's helping them, but it's only really making matters worse because they're coming into the churches and they're not receiving the help that they really need. And then they're going home and all of the joy and the excitement and the emotionalism that they experience in the church is left at the church because their issue is still with them when they leave. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Ben Tapper, and I work out of our central office here in Indianapolis. And I'm joined by the undeniably voracious Matt Burke. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm not sure because (laughs) voracious begs some kind of association. And I'm not sure if that's appetite or, you know, work proficiency. So I guess we'll see as we go. We'll see as we go. In this episode, we had the opportunity to interview Ken Hilliard to discuss mental health among youth in the black community and in families in general. And it was a really rich conversation. So Matt, I'm wondering where you noticed these themes showing up most in the work that you're doing here at the center. Yeah, it's a good question. We've had a lot of cases specifically focused on mental health and asking for support and assistance with mental health. And it's something that proactively as the center, we've been going after resources around mental health issues because there does seem to be such a dramatic mental health crisis coming on the back end of the pandemic. And anecdotally, my wife is a licensed mental health counselor, and she is very busy, as are her colleagues. So there's an increased need right now for professionals and the time of professionals. Also, anecdotally, just seeing the stressors happening in people around me and even in myself. uh, It's been a ride. It's been a ride. And I think that mental health has been something that's flown under the radar for a lot of people for a very long time. And I'm thankful that it's being more talked about, or at least in the places where I sit, it seems like it's being talked about more. But I still think there's a long way to go with understanding the problems and issues around mental health, the stigmas associated with it. But yeah, it's definitely of interest at large in our society right now, I think. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, I haven't noticed it or it hasn't necessarily come up in my casework in particular, I'll say. But to your point, I've noticed an increase in conversations about it, particularly in the black community and in black faith-based spaces. I've seen an uptick in people willing to talk about, wrestle with, and try to understand mental health. 
which is why I was really excited to have the conversation that we got to have with Ken. But I also think, yeah, there's a long way to go. And and my hope is that more and more organizations that support faith-based institutions, be they churches, schools, whatever, will provide funding and access to mental health services. I think that's the next shift that we need to see. And we're starting to see it here and there, but I think that's the next thing that could change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as an encouragement to our listeners, if mental health is not something that you feel like you know much about, I think it's important to try to educate yourself because there likely are mental health issues and concerns in your own congregation that you just may not be aware of. And so learning how to look out for the warning signs, learning how to create a culture where you can talk more openly about those kinds of things, I think would benefit your congregation in a big way. And so making mental health, if it's not already part of your congregational conversations, finding a way to open that up, finding someone in your congregation who knows a lot about that, and just starting those conversations at a leadership level, especially to figure out how you can address those needs and concerns in your congregation. Yeah. And to that point, getting a group of folks together and just listening to this interview might be the launching point for those conversations because Ken brings up a lot of really rich things, some really hard things to talk about and to hear. So yeah, in the spirit of that, we do want to issue a content warning, particularly for suicide, because that will come up in the conversation that we have with Ken on more than one occasion. So if that's a topic that you're sensitive to or might be hard for you to listen to right now, we just encourage you to please be good to yourself. Maybe table this or skip over those portions. You can always come back to them later. All right. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Pastor Ken Hilliard, who's also the Director of Operations for Building a Stronger Family. And he not only comes at this from the standpoint of a pastor, but also someone who has experienced mental health crises and issues at times in his life. And so he's not only a congregational practitioner, but somebody that this has been very personal for. So I think you'll appreciate what he has to say. Yeah, let's get into it. Everybody, welcome back. We are here with Reverend Kenneth Hilliard, just known as Ken. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Ken. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, no problem. Again, I do appreciate you all. Thank you. Yeah. Ken is the Director of Operations for Building a Stronger Family here in Fort Wayne, and he's also the pastor of Grace and Glory Encounter Ministries. And we're excited to talk to him about that organization and the heart behind it. So, Ken, can you tell us a little bit about what got Building a Stronger Family, Building Stronger Families started? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, we actually started as Shadow for Success, I want to say about five or six years ago. And you know what? Uh, let me go a little further back. So the CEO and founder, Jonathan Motley, his granddaughter, she ended up, she died by suicide. She was in seemingly a perfect home. Both parents involved in her life, going to church, in the choir. You know, just it seemingly she had a perfect life. One day after she went home and had dinner with the family, she went to her bedroom uh, and, and hung herself, unfortunately. And come to find out that she was being cyberbullied. She was having issues at school. She was going to school, eating lunch on the cafeteria floor by herself. 
no teachers, no administration, and no friends coming to check on it. That caused Jonathan to really begin this search and really dive into the reasons and the causes of what would cause a child to want to take that route when it comes to dealing with their challenges. And so from that birth, Shadow for Success. A shadow for Success, what we did was we'd go into the middle schools and high schools and work with the teenagers and address the issues that they felt they dealt with on a regular basis. Bullying, anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, drugs and alcohol, a suicide, sexual molestations, life skills, job readiness and preparedness, and college prep, job shadowing, just all of these things that really pertain to a youth's life, a teenager's life both from the struggling aspect to the prosperous aspect. During COVID, we realized that the work we were doing was great. We were really making headway. We were working with a lot of youth in different areas like the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club. We were even going out to some of the schools where the kids are challenged when it comes to, I guess, their behavior. Went to Anthos and, and, you know, again, just worked with kids who were expelled from the regular community schools. We were doing a great job. We were doing a great work, but we realized during COVID that a lot of the kids that we were working with were actually going home to their bullies. They were going home to their problems and their challenges and their struggles. And so we revamped things. We evolved, if you will, and we grew into building a stronger family. So we still have Shadow for Success actually as a program of ours for the youth. But in addition to that program, we have parenting classes where we'll work with parents who've lost their kids to the system and are working on getting them back. We have a family enrichment program in which we take the entire unit for two hours. We'll separate them for the first hour, the guardians and the children. will address the toxicity in the home. And then that second hour, we'll bring the family together to help bring them to a same conclusion, get them on the same page, if you will. And then my personal favorite, and I always tell everyone this program of ours is, is my favorite. It is the Reactive Lifestyles program. And in the Reactive Lifestyles program, what we do is we'll take any individual, young, old, male, female, and we'll address the traumas that they faced in their past. We'll give them the tools and the resources that they need to overcome those trauma, that they don't in turn grow with it. They don't relive it or they don't lead the trauma into the lives of their families and loved ones. So that's building a stronger family. I'm just blown away both at the events that led to the inception of this organization and the work that you're doing. I mean, it's, it's definitely extraordinarily important. It resonates with me, I think, in part because I'm someone who you know, has been in the foster care system. I have I know other children that have come through foster care. I've been adopted. I've worked as a foster parent. So so I know a little something about problematic family structures, something about trauma and healing. And because of that, I know that the need for the work that you're doing is extraordinarily great. If anything, it's the need is growing each and every day. So I'm wondering if you can just talk not only about the need that you see, but also about the things that are those bright spots, the things that keep you going, that affirm the need for the work that you're doing and affirm the impact that you believe you can have. Sure, sure. Well, and so when we talk about the need, you really did. You hit the nail on the head when you you address the fact that the need is actually growing. It is unfortunate, but the times that we live in, you have so many, not just adults, you have so many people, so many parents, so many youth, just so many people that are struggling, that are suffering. And one of the biggest issues is that they're suffering in silence. 
-hmm. They're dealing with, you know, their issues on their own. However, they don't know how to deal with the issues. They have these emotions and they don't know how to cope with the emotions. They have these thoughts and they don't know how to really address the thoughts. And so the need itself is growing vastly and drastically in the community. It doesn't necessarily matter the color of a person's skin. It doesn't matter uh, a person's sexual orientation. It doesn't matter the simple fact that depression one is real. The simple fact that, you know, the need for mental health is real. Yeah. And so, you know, we truly uh, not just believe, but we know that the work that we're doing is a great work. We have literally seen lives change. And as a matter of fact, we are currently going back into the Impact Center, Pastor Luther Whitfield and New Covenant Church. We've worked with a few of their members earlier this year, and the results were so great. They've actually got us coming back again to work with some more of their members. We've worked with Living Waters Evangelistic Ministries with a few of their leaders. They too have seen their leaders grow by leaps and bounds. We're currently getting ready to work with New Life, Pastor Stephen Terry and their members. And and so, yeah, you know, the, the need definitely is there. And again, the need is there because the simple fact that, you know, so many of us suffer in silence. You have not just kids going to school, putting on a mask, but you got folks coming to church, putting on masks. Mm. You've got individuals coming in, they're shouting and they're jumping and they're, they're singing and they're kumbayaing, if you will. They're putting on this facade, thinking that it's helping them, but it's only really making matters worse because they're coming into the churches and they're not receiving the help that they really need. And then they're going home and all of the joy and the excitement and the emotionalism that they experience in the church is left at the church because their issue is still with them when they leave. And so, yeah, the need definitely is there, but we are literally seeing a change. And as we go through the programs and as we go through the processes, we've worked when it comes to the youth, we've worked with kids. There are children who have come to us and have expressed that. Now, this is something that they weren't sharing this with other people until we started working with them. There are kids in schools that have come to our staff and have expressed with joy and exuberance that they're not cutting anymore. Mm. Or the duration of time between incidents has increased. And so they're not cutting as frequently and they're learning how to deal with stress and they're learning how to deal and cope with anxiety and they're learning how to deal with the crazy thoughts that just come to mind about themselves. It, it, we are seeing a change. We do know without a shadow of a doubt that the programs that we run aren't just life changing, but it really is a ministry for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, Ken, for a lot of congregations out there, I wonder if there are some that have a suspicion that these deeper traumas are present in their community and in their congregation, but they're not sure. Because like you said, we wear masks, we hide it. And maybe parents are aware of something happening with one of their kids, but they don't want to mention that to others in the congregation because they might think it might look bad in some way. How can congregations begin to uncover some of these things that are happening in their own gatherings where it's a safe place where people can begin to really talk about what's going on in their lives? I think, and don't get me wrong, pastors, we have a lot on our plate. We have a lot, we have a lot going on with a combination of both personal life and ministry. When it comes to ministry, you have so many souls that you are responsible for. And so, you know, just, I think that 
one of the best ways for us to uncover or even bring to light the challenges that families may be facing is simply simply asking. You know, just allowing yourself, allowing the pastors, allowing themselves to be reachable and get close enough to the members to simply ask the question, not facetiously, not how are you doing? Okay, that's great. But really taking the time to meet the congregation where they are and just talk to them. You know, don't get me wrong. Sunday morning services are important. They are so important. Wednesday Bible studies, they are important. These Sunday schools, they are important. They are extremely important. But just as important as the moments of training and teaching, serving members, just as important as those services are, fellowship is important. And it's the time of fellowship is when we're able to really see someone as they are. Great with your congregation. You know, have times where the congregation can get together and just be themselves and not come in with their suit and tie or not come in with their best wig on or, you know, just allow people to be themselves. And in doing so, we'll be able to see some of the characters that may display, you know, some characters or attributes that are telltale signs. Another thing is, you know, again, just going back to simply asking questions, you know, getting to the point to where, you know, we can reach individuals where they are in doing so. Let them know that there is hope and that there is hope. And then, of course, last but not least, shameless plug. <laughs> One of the things that we do before going into a ministry to do work with the families, we'll go into a ministry on a Sunday morning. And the pastor would give space for our CEO to speak. And it's either like an interview style or they completely give Jonathan the floor to, to share his story. And he does so unapologetically. He lays it all out, lets the congregation know that the man that they see now is completely different from the man that he was 20, 30 years ago, you know. I think also allowing congregations to hear and see that, you know, someone else has gone through what they may currently be going through and has overcome it. Firm believer of the word of God and the Bible does say that we overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony. I do believe in the power of God, the power of the spirit of God, the power of the cross, the power of the story of Jesus Christ. And I also believe that in hearing that someone else was struggling with depression, that somebody else had so many thoughts of suicide, that somebody else had been severely bullied, abused, uh, had been severely mistreated, to hear that somebody else had dealt and did the same drugs that I did, you know, to hear that someone else has experienced this, but they've overcome it while I'm still dealing with it. I think that's very vital for the congregation. I think it's very important for the congregation and it would be very helpful for them as well. Hmm. I also feel like, and Ken, tell me if I'm out of bounds here. It's completely possible. I like to live out of bounds as much as I can. <laughs> I feel like part of the work too is that pastors have to be willing to be honest, to give truthful testimony, if you will, about what is happening in their own families. Because if you can't objectively and honestly name when you need help, when your family needs help, and you don't have the necessary tools at your disposal to address some of the hurt and pain that your family has been carrying, then you might not be able to see it in another family. You might have the capacity to address it. So I think, you know, just kind of bluntly, pastors have to be willing to be real 
about what their own families need and are experiencing as well. Thank you, Ben, for saying that. I do appreciate you saying that because in these moments, you have all these thoughts running through your mind and it's very easy to miss something. You are absolutely right. As a matter of fact, uh, believe it or not, I am expecting to meet with a group of pastors coming up soon to address that very same issue. Mm. So transparency, right? That's what you're talking about. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up connected to any congregation. As a child, I didn't have a pastor or or anything like that. I, we believe, my mom believed, uh, my family believed, but I just, you know, we didn't go to church. Now, with that being said, I'd never heard of or knew about the issues that pastors and their children, I've never heard about the challenges that they've experienced until I grew up and became a Christian. I've spoken to several people who have experienced some major traumas in their life either because their children or they, as children, felt neglected, mm. felt rejected, felt like that they never added up or never lived up to a standard that was impossible for them to live up to. Or maybe their parent, which was a pastor, mind you, maybe their parent was abusive or addictive to something. And so I'm saying all that to say, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. It is vitally important for us as pastors and leaders to share the simple fact that we've had challenges too, and may even still be dealing with certain things. And I honestly believe that this is also a part of the issue that the body of Christ is experiencing. So many believers have deified their pastor. Mm-hmm. They've pastor on a pedestal that they don't belong on. Yeah. Only to find out that they're just as human as they are. Yeah. And when they find the flaw, when they see the shortcoming in this human pastor that they've been serving and borderline worshiping turns them off and it turns them away from church is one of the things we call church hurts. Mm. And so, yeah, I really do. I, I totally agree with you. I think we as pastors have to be as transparent as we possibly can. Now, don't get me wrong. I do also believe that, you know, there's some information that certain individuals in the congregation just aren't yes. ready for. Yeah. You know, however, again, transparency, I do believe is key. I agree with you. Yeah. There's a phrase, just close this train of thought out that I learned from people that I respected when I was going through seminary. Uh, And it's always been relevant to me because I feel like for myself, there's great power. You know, I'm I'm a public speaker, a facilitator. And so sharing my story can be really powerful. Right. And I value authenticity. However, if done the wrong way, it can actually cause harm. And so the phrase that was taught to me was don't bleed on the people. Right. Yes. Like you can show them your scars, but don't bleed on the people. And that's something that I still carry with me. You know, whenever I evaluate, okay, is this the right story at the right time for the right person or not? And so I think that's just something that a lens that we have to use to evaluate when are we being healthily transparent and when are we potentially causing more harm than necessary? And so I'm glad that you named that. So I want to mention that Ken is going to be doing some education events for the Center for Congregations. The first one is on October 4th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And the second one is going to be on October 27th at 6 p.m. So we want to make sure we give an opportunity for people who are bivocational and work during the day to check out those events. And so, Ken, can you tell people what are some of the practical things that they'll potentially be able to take away from those education events? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And first, let me say I am looking forward to it. And again, I appreciate you all and your considerations with me and building a stronger family for those events. You know, a few of the things that 
I really do plan on bringing to light is first and foremost, the importance of mental health, making sure that, you know, we do our part, we do what we can to make sure that we're not just conscious and aware of what's going on up here and in here, but that we also learn ways to make sure that we're able to decompress from time to time. And really, that's the field that we're in. Building a stronger family deals solely with mental health in some capacity. And so one of the things that we do when it comes to, you know, just life in general, church, whatever the case may be, you know, we get so bogged down, so overwhelmed. I'm so focused on making sure that responsibilities are taken care of, making sure that other people are taken care of, and we neglect ourselves. And so I'll definitely address the need to make sure that we are both aware of our own mental health and then also making sure that, you know, we learn different ways, not necessarily to cope, but to help, again, decompress, to help bring a release for ourselves. Also, I'd love to really address the fact that suicide for our youth is real. Mm. For our youth, for our team, it is so very real. As a matter of fact, numbers yearly are constantly climbing, but even the more so since COVID. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, it got to the point, I believe it was this school year, it gotten so bad that school stopped sharing when one of their students died by suicide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which really hits home for me. Again, a, a little backdrop and transparency for myself. I worked at Elmhurst High School years ago. I encountered a young lady who had some challenges with depression. You know, I witnessed to her, led her to Christ. You know, she even attended my church for a few Sundays. It seemed like things were getting better for her. It seemed like, you know, she was starting to have a little more life and a little more pep in her stuff. You know, she seemed to get better. One week, she came to me in class, which was odd, at least to me then. I didn't get it then, but I, I get it now. She came to me in class and it seemed like when she came, I wasn't too busy. I was just overwhelmed and I wasn't sensitive to the situation. She came to me several times in a week and asked me if she could speak with me because it was important. At that time, there were so many kids constantly calling on me and asking for my help. I, I couldn't, I didn't make the time for it. Long story short, the following week, she didn't come to school. Later that week, Thursday, Friday, the schools found out that the young lady died by suicide. Broke my heart. Um, broke my heart. And this was something that they released over the PA system. And so to hear that the schools are just so calloused and the schools are just, you know, they're not sensitive enough to the situation to the point to where they're not sharing the information with the kids that are in the schools. It tells me that, you know, there's need to make sure that we all know and understand how important and how serious that suicide amongst our children is. And another fact, suicide amongst Black teens are higher than any other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I learned that this year. And so... Yeah, yeah. These are a few things that I plan on touching and addressing in these educational settings, as well as making sure that, you know, we touch on the reactive lifestyles and, and letting people, letting congregations know that we've all dealt with some form of trauma, that we've all gone through some sort of hardship, but we don't have to necessarily constantly live with or relive, I should say, the events that took place. Mm -hmm.
I appreciate you sharing that, Ken, especially sharing from your own traumatic experience. And for those out there that this may be surprising information, but there are probably also other people out there who have lived through some of these tragic kinds of things. What kind of hope do you see? And what kind of hope does the work that you do offer to families, to teens, to congregations? Hope itself. Mm-hmm. Not just what kind of a hope, period. You know, when a person has gone through trauma, when a person is dealing with depression, that's exactly what they lose. They lose hope. Again, being transparent, when I dealt with my bouts of depression and when I was uh, severely thinking about committing suicide because I had no hope at all. As a matter of fact, I remember literally praying, Lord, don't let me wake up. Multiple nights going to bed. Don't don't let me wake up. I don't want to wake up. Just, just let me sleep forever. And so, yeah, yeah, really, to be honest with you, just to bring hope. Again, there are families, there are individuals that are going to church and they're getting their emotional high, but they're leaving still without hope. And so, yeah, we look to help bring hope itself mm-hmm. to families, to children, and to the community. Thank you for that. To find out more or to follow this organization, you can check them out at buildingastrongerfamily.org or on Facebook at Building a Stronger Family. Their offices are on the lower level of the Rousseau Center on 1 East Main Street in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or you can call them at 260-797-5892. And once again, that's Building a Stronger Family. Well, I want to thank you, Ken, for your work, not only in your congregation, but also with Building a Stronger Family. And we're looking forward to seeing you in October. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate you guys. Of course. All right. Well, that was a powerful conversation. Definitely one that was difficult, I think, maybe not only to participate in, but to hear as well. And so, again, I hope that if that topic was tough for you, that you're being gentle to yourself and maybe even take a moment here, pause, catch your breath before listening to the rest of the conversation. But Matt, as we are on the other side of that dynamic conversation, I'm wondering what is standing out to you most? Yeah, one of the things that hit me was this organization and what they're doing is another one of those instances where something really positive and good has grown out of terrible tragedy that the people involved in building a stronger family have experienced a lot of the things that they deal with and they're using their past experience as kind of the fuel for the fire for them to address that in other people as ken said to bring just hope in general and i think that's such an important thing to remember that a lot of times we do our best help out of our most broken places Mm -hmm. as human beings. And I've seen that in a lot of people's lives. I've seen that even in my life 
that when we experience negative things from our past, there's a wonderful capacity for us to use that to support others who have experienced or are experiencing that same thing. And it's just a good reminder that we don't want to just bury our pain in the past because it can be such a wonderful opportunity for us to serve others by using that, especially once we have healed from it. And I liked what you said in the interview about not bleeding all over the audience. You know, show your scars, of course, but just finding those places where people are struggling with things that maybe you have overcome and being a presence in their life to help them overcome as well. Yeah, I'm so glad that you highlighted that, Matt, because it's something that I wrestle with. And, you know, here we're getting a little bit into some of, you know, my personal beliefs versus directly discussing what was in the interview, but I'll come back to the interview in a second. But as a trauma survivor myself, survivor of domestic violence and abuse and neglect, one of the verses in scripture that has persistently bothered me as an adult, and it's not the verse, it's the way people use it, is Romans 8.28. God calls us all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Because I think it's so easy to want to look on the sunny side of tragedy and to say, oh, you know, but A, God wouldn't give you more than you can handle, or oh, look how much stronger you are because you went through that. And those that have gone through tragedy have no desire to be stronger. Like that's, we don't, I would rather just not gotten hurt, you know. But to your point, I do think there is an increased capacity to, not all the time, but sometimes to kind of bear the pain of others and to make room for the hurt and the pain of others, especially if you have put some work in to heal yourself. And there's a beauty in that capacity because some things you can only understand if you have endured yourself. And so when I think about the building a stronger family and the work that Pastor Ken is doing, I definitely think that that is happening, that there's an amount of pain that they're able to help others hold and to work through because of the unique experiences that they themselves as volunteers, the people that work there have had to go through. And the story that Pastor Ken shared about the student that he had that committed suicide, who had tried to, to speak with him the week before, that really hit me. Because, you know, as someone who has regularly mentored students in the past, you know, as young as like second grade all the way into high school and college, I was imagining what I would feel like if I had been in his shoes and it would have been devastating. And so the fact that that community and that pastor Ken himself could endure something like that and then find a way to help others so that fewer things like that happen is a beautiful thing. And also it's tragic that we need services like building a stronger family. You know, it's tragic that teens are at risk of suicide and that people are hurting so much that that's a step that they take. So, you know, I left the interview feeling a mix of grief and encouragement and hope, just a whole bunch of things because of all that was present in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And and I want to be clear, Ben, just in case anyone interpreted my comments as you know, it's good that bad things happen to you so that you can help other people. <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> that's not the stance that I'm taking. And it's also important that you don't have to use your past or present pain to help heal other people. Like that's not a mandate. I have personally seen people who have healed over a very long period of time. And once they have reached that point of healing, have had the capacity to help others in the same situation. But I also know that that's not 
a good reason to have gone through trauma and pain. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't justify it. And I would never say to someone in the midst of their trauma, you should be thankful because you'll be able to help people in the future. Like that is not something that is helpful to someone who's experiencing deep mental health issues, deep trauma, deep pain. That is not something that you want to share or say to them in that moment. That's for them to decide later on once they've come through and feel like they have healed sufficiently. Yes. So I am not at all flippant about, you know, oh, bad things happen. Well, that's okay because you can use that to help other people. Like, Mm -hmm. not at all. And to your point about scripture, I agree with you about the Romans interpretation that that may ultimately be true. But for all human beings, there are moments where we can look at the Psalms and Lamentations of David and and the Book of Lamentations where we can cry out and be like, God, why the heck are you doing this to me? Mm. And it's appropriate and right to do so. And we have that shown to us in what we consider our holy scriptures. So it's okay to be where you are. And if it's still in the midst of trauma and pain and still healing from it, that's just fine and don't feel a burden that you now have to fix people or that what happened to you, you should be grateful for. Not at all what I was meaning by that. Absolutely. And I didn't hear it like that at all. I simply spoke to that because that idea is still out there, not only in our broader culture, but in church circles. There's still some circles that that's a very strong belief and thing to say. So I wanted to speak to that. But I also... Yeah, no, I I saw the accusation in your eyes. I saw it. <laughs> I also want to name that I think what you just said probably set some people free. So I love that you named that you don't have to use your experience to heal or even always liberate others. Like there's no mandate that you have to do that. And I say I think you set some people free when you say that because it has just been in the last six to twelve months that I have like been able to grasp that idea, Matt. And so though you said it quickly and briefly, it is a really powerful thing for people that have experienced deep pain in their lives to hear, especially if you came from a religious background. So I'm so glad that you said that. And I hope, you know, whomever's listening that needs to hear that, that you pause, rewind, play that part again and let it sink into your spirit because it is such an important truth and there's a lot of freedom tied up in it. So I really appreciate you for naming that. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. And I even know therapists that there are certain kinds of clients that they won't necessarily take on because the trauma that that client has is a little too close to home from the trauma that they've experienced. And it's just not possible for them to be the right therapist for that person. It's not that that person can't be helped. Of course they can. But it's just finding the right therapist who can manage or handle the trauma. And it's a relatively rare thing, but it's an important thing that sometimes it's just a little too close to home for us to manage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you get to do what you need to do with your own past and your own healing, right? And if you decide you think you can use it to help Mm -hmm. others, go for it. But you don't have to do that. The hopeful piece for me in that interview was thinking about And, you know, I got to give props to you. It's in doing this podcast that I continuously become aware of really great resources in Fort Wayne. You know, as a city in Indiana, Fort Wayne is kind of the middle child, I think, of major cities in Indiana. And so it's often overlooked and forgotten, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But I keep being reminded that there's a lot of good work happening and building a stronger family is another example of that. And so I'm encouraged that there's a, a group of folks you know, dedicated not only to helping teens and youth, but families, right? When Pastor Kim was talking about having meetings with entire families and building out plans for how they can break some of the toxic dynamics that might be coming up. I mean, 
What powerful work, especially, I mean, really in any community, but I was thinking about it and imagining it from the point of the black community, and especially the black church community. Just such rich work that hasn't happened on a large scale for a long time. And so I'm thankful that there's an organization like that in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that is doing that work. I can't wait to hear about the collaborations that they continue to have and continue to do with other organizations doing good work. So that did give me some hope and some encouragement. I'm like, all right, we got people doing really important work up here. And that, you know, it put a smile on my face and still is this morning. Yeah. And it's such an important reminder that so much of mental health has a relational dynamic to it, that there are mental health disorders and issues that are neurological, they're biological, they're neurochemical, but there are many that arise from trauma and relationships. And so it's not necessarily just dealing with the individual and trying to fix the individual, but especially if it's a kid at home in a toxic environment or situation, it's a matter of also educating the family and trying to get the family into a more healthy place that will help maybe reduce some of that trauma and some of the mental health issues that may happen down the line. Yeah. And to that end, I will offer a word of encouragement. You know, if you are a person, whether you're you know 15 or 45, if you're a person who is healing and your family's healing and you were trying to do the right thing and to break some of these toxic cycles and these maladaptive behavior patterns and you're frustrated because things don't seem to be shifting yet, I just want to remind you that it takes time, right? Just keep doing the work Mm. that you're doing. I'm offering that reminder to you because my therapist reminds me weekly, it takes time. Uh, And there'll be moments where you're frustrated that it's not happening soon enough, Mm. moments that you wonder if all the pain and the difficulty in healing is even worth it. And then randomly, one day, something small will happen, but you will notice a shift. And you'll notice the shift because you'll respond differently than how you've been responding for the last like five years or the person you're in a relationship with will respond differently in a healthier way than they would have ever responded before. And in that moment, when you become aware of it, you'll feel some gratitude and some appreciation for the process and you'll be reminded, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing this. And so if you feel discouraged or frustrated and feel like things aren't moving fast enough, I just encourage you to keep going. Let your support system know that you need some extra encouragement so they can offer it. But just know that it's a long road. It can be a difficult one. But I promise you, it's worth it. It just takes some time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also important to know that there are just a wealth of resources out there. So we'll shift our attention to our resourcing segment. And just so you know, both personally and organizationally, there are tons of options out there. So the first one I wanted to bring up was the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI. It's based out of Arlington, Virginia, but there are offices and chapters all across the country. And so pretty much wherever you're listening, at least in the United States, you probably have an office nearby. But I know particularly Fort Wayne has a strong NAMI presence. So again, Ben, as you mentioned, with Fort Wayne having a lot of resources, I had the pleasure of meeting one of the people at NAMI Fort Wayne, and they offer education courses, peer support groups, and not only for those people who are suffering from mental health issues, but also family members Mm. of people who are suffering from mental health issues. And so learning as a family member of someone with a mental health diagnosis, how to navigate that and support groups for family members who can talk with other families who have also experienced that same kind of thing. So NAMI is an incredibly strong organization, and I encourage you to take a look at their website and take a look at what they have to offer. Absolutely. It's a great organization. We have recommended them several times, more than several. We've recommended them a lot to different congregations, and they have come up in this podcast several times over the last four seasons. So definitely take a look at them. And I'm going to throw out another acronym 
for the resource that I'm bringing today. It is BEAM, B-E-A-M, the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. And similar to NAMI, this is an organization that offers programs, trainings, wellness tools, grants, journal prompts, pretty much almost anything you could need when you're thinking about improving your mental health or bringing resources into your community. They even have peer support groups as well. But of course, this is focused on the black community. And so I encourage you to check them out. Their information is on the CRG, which is our Congregational Resource Guide. We'll also have this link in the collection for this podcast episode. But if you're a part of the black community and looking for a cool organization that might have something you need, be it a training, a grant, or a peer support group, check out the Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. Yeah, thanks for bringing that, Ben. And I want to throw out also, in addition, an on-demand course that we created along with Mike McHarg, who is someone who knows a lot about mental health. It's called Supporting People in an After-COVID World, Peer Support Groups. And in this on-demand course, Mike delineates real particular granular types of things to be thinking about of how do you advertise the peer support group? How do you put it together? How does it function? How does it run? So just really practical steps. The videos are very short, maybe three to five minutes each, so you can come back to it over time. But just a really solid resource. And peer support groups are known to be a very, very helpful tool in helping a community wrestle with mental health issues and concerns, or even just grief shares and things like that. So it's not even necessarily just mental health, but peer support over all kinds of things related to things that folks encounter in their lives. So in addition to those resources, remember that Pastor Hilliard is going to be presenting some education events for the Center for Congregations. The first of those is October 4th, 2022 at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And the second one is October 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. If you are hearing this podcast after those dates, shoot us an email at podcast at centerforcongregations.org, and we can provide you with a link to the recording. But in the interview, you heard Pastor Hilliard talking about the kinds of things he'll be sharing during the event, and so we're excited to have him in. I also want to highlight the fact that we've got a podcast coming up on October 19th with the Full Strength Network. This is another Fort Wayne-based organization, but that does work nationally. It's an organization that is specifically focused on providing coaching and mental health counseling for congregational leadership. And so clergy leaders or people who are on staff in a congregation. So we'll talk with a couple of their representatives about things that specifically clergy deal with. So that's coming up on October 19th. And there's also an education event surrounding that topic as well. So some really good things coming up in terms of if you're a clergy leader or a congregational leader looking for support for yourself or leaders in your organization, that would be a good podcast to check out. Absolutely. And if you're sitting here just blown away at all the amazing resources that the Center for Congregations is bringing you and you're wondering, how on earth is this possible? We've got the answer. We've got to thank the generosity of the Lilly Endowment for making the work that we do possible. And that work includes this podcast, the education events that Matt mentioned, our online resource guide, which is the Congregational Resource Guide, which you can find at thecrg.org, and many more things. And so the endowment makes the great work that we do possible, and we're so appreciative of them. Yeah, very much so, because... Hopefully, it's understood that we're not trying to sell anything with this podcast. We are highlighting things that we have independently found. We do not have give-and-take relationship with these organizations. We've just discovered them and feel that they're really positive resources for congregations. And so we're so thankful to the endowment that they can allow us to just serve in the way that we do without an agenda, without needing you to purchase anything. We don't need that because they take care of us. And so we're able to just serve you in the ways that we do. 
And we also have to thank the talent and skill of our audio engineer, Jaden Lee, who keeps us sounding intelligent and competent somehow. And that is that is no mean feat. No, not at all. So thank you, Jaden, for the great work that you do on this podcast as well. If you find this podcast helpful, we would love for you to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you use. iTunes is the most common, but there's also Spotify and other places as well. And that's the quickest way to make sure other people will find this content as the ratings and reviews help with the algorithm to get it out into the world. Absolutely. Please be sure to follow us on social media at the Center for Congregations on Facebook or Instagram. And last but not least, we want to do our geographical shout out and For whatever reason, when you look at the breakdown of listenership on our podcast over the last two years, if you do our geographical breakdown by state, so if I'm just looking at the U.S., we have listenership all across the world, but if we're just looking at the U.S., two states break into our top five that regularly surprise me, and so I'm just going to shout out these two states specifically. One is the state of Kentucky, and this shouldn't be a surprise because they're just south of Indiana. We've got two offices not far from Kentucky, so I shouldn't be as surprised as I am, but still, I appreciate our listeners in Kentucky and for your continued support. Thank you. We appreciate you. I hope you keep listening. This next one is a bit of a surprise, and I can't make a lot of sense of it, but I'm glad it's happening. We have a large chunk of listeners in the state of North Carolina. So to those Tar Heels or Blue Devils that are listening, Wake Forest, I know you're there as well, but let's be real. To those Tar Heels or Blue Devils that are listening, thank you so much for listening and for supporting us these last two years. We appreciate you. And if either those from Kentucky or North Carolina want to offer suggestions, improvements, or to lodge a formal complaint against me for my slander of Wake Forest, you can email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Demon Deacons have already unfollowed. So, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Way to go, Ben. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, hey, all, we appreciate your listenership, and we hope that the content that we're bringing is valuable and useful to you, and we would love to hear from you. So hit us up at podcast at centerforcongregations.org. So thanks. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks for the Center for Congregations. I am Matt Burke. And I'm always late. Catch you later. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>